I like hearing that old glory back there, Jack. I don't know what I'd do without you back there to say it. In 1968, a young runner from Tanzania easily qualified to represent his country in the 1968 Summer Olympics in Mexico City. John Stephen Aquari uh, was a world-class runner. He had actually won the marathon, the African Marathon uh, Championships just right before he went to the Olympics. Um, he was, uh, ran a pace of uh, about two hours, 20 minutes, so <clears throat> well-qualified to compete there in the Olympics. But his training did not prepare him for the cramps that he experienced in Mexico City due to the altitude of the city. Uh, this was a grueling race for Aquari, as well as other competitors in the race. And just before the halfway point in uh, the marathon, the uh, runners begin to jockey to try to get position. And in doing so, they start bumping into each other, and several of the athletes fall, including Aquari. He fell hard. He dislocated his knee. He scraped his leg. Um, he injured his shoulder. Now, a lot of the runners uh, withdrew from the race at that point. Uh, but Aquari received medical attention. They bandaged up his leg, and he got up, and he kept going. Uh, he wasn't able to run as hard as he was. He limped, and sometimes he walked. Uh, the race began with 75 competitors. Only 57 of them completed the race. <clears throat> Just over an hour after the first-place finisher crossed the finish line, Aquari entered the stadium uh, to run the final lap of the marathon. Uh, the medals had already been distributed to the winners. Uh, the sun had already set, but still there were a couple thousand spectators in the stands as Aquari limped awkwardly towards the finish, li uh, finish line, obviously in pain, and the crowd stood to their feet and cheered as he crossed the finish line dead last at the Olympics. The life of faith is a marathon. And most people start off strong. You've got the wind at your back. You've got motivation coming out of your ears. All of this excitement and energy. Everything you could ask for in that. The feeling that you are exactly where you need to be. Headed in the exactly the right direction where you to go. Uh, every twist, every turn, you feel like you've anticipated it. You've trained for. Maybe it caught you off guard, but you were ready. We might begin the race strong, but the question becomes, will we finish strong? Because it's not always easy to finish the race in the life of faith. It's not always easy to do uh, what God calls us to do in the life of faith. So will we finish strong? And it's very easy here in the comfort of the sanctuary, within the context of this worship service, to say, of course, of course I'll finish strong. But there's a whole lot of encumbrances that are going to trip you up. For Eve, it was this desire for knowledge and for power. Adam was tempted in the same way, but he also was tempted with this idea of letting somebody else decide. Just go along to get along. Don't cause any problems here. Cain gave in to the temptation of jealousy, of envy, of anger. Noah let his guard down. He got drunk. The people of Babel disobeyed God's command. He said, go into the whole world and fill it up. Instead, they wanted to stay right there. And what they do? They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were tempted by the allure of glory. We may start strong, but what's keeping you from faithfully following God where he's leading you today? What's keeping you from saying yes to Jesus, 
to running hard the race that for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Come to realize that sometimes what keeps us from faithfully following the Lord are the things that we call blessings in this life. The comfort of ease, of abundance that we find in a nation where we have great fortune. The safety and security of things just the way they are. The joy that comes from deep relationships, close family ties. They're all very good things, but those blessings can sometimes keep us from faithfully following the Lord. Because we're afraid. I'm afraid, what might happen to these blessings if I step out and follow Jesus by faith? I think another reason we struggle to finish the race and follow faithfully as God calls us is because it's not always easy to see where the Lord's leading us. We can tell you where we came from. We can tell you where we are, but we don't necessarily know where God's leading us. And the truth is, I'm not sure I want to go down that road. I kind of like it the way it is. And so maybe I slow down. Maybe I press pause. I try to pass a baton, say this is somebody else's leg in the race. I just want to withdraw, throw in the towel. Or I might get so distracted with where I am that I think this is it. I've arrived exactly where God called me to go. And we believe that this is it. This is all God called us to. I mean, the life that we're living, it feels good. It seems right. Other people seem to be enjoying it. I'm a good citizen. I go to church. I have good morals. I try to live as a witness by good deeds that I do. But there's a whole lot more to life than just me and the world that I can see around me. The true story of the world is about the kingdom of God coming to bear against the kingdom of this world And I've got a role to play in advancing God's kingdom in this world. The race I'm to run is one of advancing the kingdom of God. Will I finish strong? The race that God has called me to? The one that he's marked out for me? That's the question. This year we kicked off a study of the true story of the world by chronologically reading through uh, the Bible, studying the Bible together this year. And I hope that, uh, I know that many of you are, and I hope a lot of you are uh, joining us as we, um, in this consumed Bible reading plan, reading through the Bible together chronologically. Maybe this is the first you've heard of it. That's okay. It's not too late because uh, you can pick up one of the Bible reading plans in the foyer or go online to consume.life. And uh, you can pick up where we are today. You don't feel like, ah, I can't make up two weeks. Work. You just pick up right where we are. Um, maybe start tomorrow and uh, you just stick with us. But last week in our reading, we completed act one of the story of the world. It's really only a three-act play. And Act 1 was just the first week of reading, taking us in Genesis. Act 1, God creates this perfect, pristine creation, takes man, places him in the middle of it, lets him rule over it. He's to thrive. It's to be a wonderful place. But in scene 2, it all gets wrecked because sin enters the world. Man falls, and everything gets broken. In fact, it gets so bad that in scene 3, God decides to destroy the world by flood. But even a flood was not strong enough to drive out sin. We find after the flood that men went from bad to worse. And if you've been reading through Genesis with us, or maybe you've read it before, you recognize that human history has been this downward spiral ever since the first man and woman took the fruit, ever since that first moment in Genesis 3 when they sinned. And I think, you know, what would I do? If this was something I made, if this is something I put into uh, motion and all of a sudden it got so bad, what would I do? Well, I'd want to bring it to an end. Of course, that motivation of the flood. 
But we see, though, if we keep reading in the scriptures, that God has a plan, and it's not just to destroy. His plan is to redeem and to restore. And God's plan involves a man and a woman whom he calls to leave their land in order to establish a beachhead for the kingdom of heaven on earth. Act 2 is the unfolding of God's plan to rescue and to restore the whole world. And as you read through Genesis, there's this structure of the book that's based um, um, <clears throat> around a certain phrase that we find. We find it in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. It says, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. That's the repeated phrase that we see. In fact, this is the sixth time, I believe, we find it in the book of Genesis, this idea of the records of the generations. Of. The first time was in Genesis 2, and it gets repeated throughout. If you want to study the scriptures, you take note of that. Because it's dividing up the story into these groups, these groups of people. And right here we find the group of the people that come from Terah. So Terah has uh, three sons, but the focus is not on Terah, it's on his son Abram. A man that we come to know to be Abraham. God's going to do something significant in the life of Abram, and it's going to involve a move. In Genesis uh, 11, 27 through 32, Terah takes his his son, Abram, his son's wife, Sarai, his, uh, son, uh, Abram's nephew, Lot, and they move from the Ur of the Chaldeans up north, and they go to Haran. And so that's where they are whenever Terah dies. And so we come to Act 2, Scene 1 of the history of the world, and it's about a nation and people. Our message today is called A Man Named Abram. It comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. What we find here is God's going to establish his kingdom on earth, and it begins with a family. It begins with a nation that God's decided that he's going to use to redeem and restore the world. So the word of God focuses now on a man, this man we call Father Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to read to you the verse, nine verses of the chapter. Genesis 12 verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. To the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one that curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord. Who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true. And we th thank you that it has hope for us as we look forward to the life that you have in front of us. God, I pray that we would yield now to the leading of your spirit. Like Abram, we would say yes to you as you call us to follow. Father, we pray for those who don't know you that today all would be drawn to the cross of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the text, the Lord's calling Abram to go 
and claim the land of the Canaanites for the kingdom of God. And he makes a covenant to bless Abram and to make him a blessing, and then Abram obeys by faith. What I want us to look at this morning is this critical moment in history, and I want us to find here the motivation to answer the call of God on our lives, to go into the world and to claim it for the kingdom of God. There are three key parts to this narrative. God's call of Abram, God's covenant with Abram, and then Abram's commitment to God. We're going to begin in verse 1 with God's call of Abram. Abram lived about 4,000 years ago, sometime around 2000 B.C. Sometime in there it gets debated an early date and a later date. But he was from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which would be in the southern part of what we know to be uh, modern-day Iraq. Uh, So he's down very south uh, part of that. That's where it seems like his family uh, comes from. And our assumption when we read the scriptures is that when we find Abram, that he's already worshiping God, right? We assume, well, here's this guy, and he's living among these people, and he's probably known as a righteous man who's living for God, who's making him known, that kind of thing. But we find out that's not true. In fact, Joshua tells us, chapter 24, verse 2, From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abram came from a pagan family. God called him out of the paganism whenever he called him to go. So Abram is married to a woman named Sarai, and there's this great tension in the story of Abram that we find in Genesis 11, verse 30. It says, so Sarah was Barren, she had no child. Now, it doesn't take much figuring out to determine this would be a very serious issue for their family. We know how much of a challenge this can be in families today. Some of you have experienced the challenge of that. Um, But especially in this uh, ancient land where it was all about this family clan and the inheritance. And that's how uh, people uh, ruled. And that's what happened to what you had. It's a very serious thing is this idea of having a descendant, to have some an heir. So Sarai, she is barren. And not only that, Abram is 75 years old. So the prospects that there's going to be a nation come out of these people is uh, pretty slim, right? Well, Terah has brought Abram and Sarai uh, to Haran. But their journey's not over. So they've traveled north. This is kind of um, the, the northernmost part of Syria, probably, or maybe southernmost part of Turkey. So that's where they've traveled from uh, the bottom of Iraq all the way up there. And here, here they sit. And the same voice that spoke creation into being now speaks to Abram and calls him to go and to reestablish God's kingdom on earth. God says, go, leave your country, leave your father's household, leave everything you know, leave your current way of life. That includes your pagan way of living. And so where is God sending Abram? The text says, to the land. Have you ever been sent out on an errand? Or told to go get something, but you don't know where you're supposed to go or where exactly it is, right? Uh, This creates some of the biggest conflict within my family, among my wife and I. Uh, Not only do I not know um, where I'm going, but by admission, I am really not good at finding. Uh, Just this past week, um, I was looking for ketchup, and I opened the refrigerator, and I look under everything. I look in every drawer. I look behind every box in the doors. I shut the refrigerator doors, and I'm like, Rachel, do we not have any ketchup? And she said, I think it's just right inside the refrigerator. Sure enough, I open, and it's just sitting, just center, like lights on it. And I'm like, how did I miss that? I'm really bad at finding. 
I'm especially bad at finding whenever I don't know where I'm going. Well, Abram is headed out to go find a land. And what's the roadmap he has? The word of God. That's it. God says to a land, I'll show you. Well, why is God calling Abram to go? Now, first of all, this is a really tender thing. Because God chooses Abram and Sarah. He has chosen to rescue them. To pull them out of this vain worship of pagan idols. And this um, uh, uh, destitution, this devastation that they've experienced because of sin. He selected them. But it's not only that God is wanting to rescue Abram and Sarai. The second reason God called Abram is he wants to save the whole world. And so his plan is to bring him out and begin a nation and people by which he will fully and finally put an end to the curse of sin. So he chooses Abram to establish this nation by which he will send to the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent, rescue humanity, and restore everything that had been broken because of sin. What we find in Genesis 12, God's not done with humanity. God is not done with the world. He has not washed his hands and walked away. So he calls Abram to go to a new land where God will continue the story of redemption, of restoration. And in order to go where God is calling, Abram is going to have to leave a whole lot behind. There is no way to uh, put into plain enough language how difficult it would be for a person in Abram's um, generation, in his place, in his time, in the situation that he finds himself in, to walk away from his country, to walk away from his people, from his father's household. There's a lot of solace within this country, among these people and in this family. There's safety in it. There is a future in it. There's a whole lot of joy, of course, Uh, They're among your people. But the comfort of country and of family and every other part of our lives must give way to a higher allegiance if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus. As we consider God's call of Abram, I want to ask you a question. What's keeping you from obeying God and following Jesus? What's keeping you from running the race the Lord's marked out for you? What's tugging at your heart to step out, to back off, to slow down, to change course, to throw the towel in? What is it that is preventing you from living on mission with God evangelistically, verbally sharing the hope that you have because of Jesus, telling others about how they can have a relationship with Jesus? What's preventing you from doing that? What's keeping you from being faithful to generously open your hands for the sake of the kingdom here on Stand Sunday, generously opening your lives, your home to those that God has called you to minister to and to serve and look out for? What's preventing you from opening your hands to use God's resources in conjunction with God's people to accomplish God's work? What's stopping you from living on mission for Christ through righteous living, being obedient to God by resisting temptation, by resisting sin, by refusing to compromise in convictions of morality? What's keeping you from putting your yes on the table and then allowing God to put his finger on the map or on the person or in the certain direction? What's keeping you from doing that? I know that this world, uh, we're challenged because of consumerism. 
materialism, comfortability, those things will sap your zeal for the gospel and for living on mission. There's always something out there that will tease your appetites and tell you maybe later. There's always something else to be had. I got to do that first. To walk by faith means placing your life in the hands of the Lord. It's letting him lead you to Canaan to say, I like where I am, but I'll go where you're sending me. The example we have in Abram is blind trust of God. Now, that is not the main point of the text. God is not merely giving us an example to follow. God is actually unfolding the story for us of how he plans to save the world. What we find in Genesis 12 is God calls Abram, and then he makes a covenant with Abram. It's important uh, that we recognize here that this story is a story about God. Uh, This is not a story about Abram. Uh, God is the one who's at the center of the story. Uh, God is the one who calls Abram. God is the one who makes promise to Abram. God is the one who keeps the promise. God is the one to whom the altar is built. So this is a story about God. And he chooses Abram. He selects Abram. And here in verses 2 and 3, he makes a covenant with Abram. He makes a promise to him. God says to Abram, you go, and then I'm going to do these things. You go, and I'll make this happen. That's what he says. But how does Abram know that? Has anybody ever lied to you before? (laughs) Has anybody ever let you down? They say they'll do this, but you're like, "Uh, I don't know. God says to Abram, go, and I promise. I want you to understand in this moment that Abram is not just a robot. He is dealing with this decision just like you would. He's having to decide. Am I going to trust God? Am I going to follow him by faith? And you know what I bet he's dealing with? The same thing you would deal with. But this seems good, and this is right, and this is okay. So what is it? Should I follow him by faith, or should I not? So he's wrestling with that decision here in the text. God makes seven promises to Abram in this covenant. First, he says, I'll make you a great nation. Now, we know that's going to be a challenge because we know Sarai's condition and we know Abram's age. But he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Second thing he says to him is he says, I will bless you. Now, of course, we think of blessing with prosperity. But I think the idea here is that God says, I'm going to keep my eye on you. And I'm going to make sure that things move towards you and not away from you. So he says, I'll bless you. Third thing, I'm going to make your name great. You remember all those people in, uh, in Babylonia building this tower of Babel? They wanted to make it a great name for themselves. I'm going to give you a great name. One you don't earn, I'll just bestow it upon you. Fourth, I'm going to make you a blessing. So as I bless you, those around you are going to be blessed. Then he says in verse 5, if they bless you, I'll bless them. I mean, excuse me, verse 3. He says, "If if they curse you, I'll curse them. And finally, he says, I will bless the whole earth through you. God is going to redeem and restore the whole world through this nation that he's beginning here with Abram and Sarah. Now, God did not give explanations to Abram. He didn't say, and this is how I'm going to do it. That's how we want it, right? We want explanations from God. But all that Abram got was promises from God, and God always keeps his promises. How you respond to the promises of God determines what God might do in your life. We're not saved by the promises we make to God. We think that sometimes. We think, how do I know that I'm saved? Well, I promise to God I'm going to live for him. We're not saved by promises we make to God. 
We are saved by faith in the promises God makes to us. That's how we're saved. So Abram had to uh, decide here, will I trust him? And there's no evidence really that Abram wrestled with that, that he tossed and turned. Um, All we know, Abram was called by God. God makes a covenant with Abram. And now I want us to conclude by looking at Abram's commitment to God. So God calls, God makes a covenant, and then in verse 4, this is what we read. So Abram went forth. Simple obedience. God said, go forth in verse 1, and here in verse 4, Abram went forth. Faith in God will bring us out. If you have faith in God, it will bring you out of the mess of the life that you find yourself in. I mean, Abram actually probably felt like he had everything that he needed. I mean, living as part of his father's household, he probably thought, you know, I've got, all, I've got my future figured out. I've got my life figured out. I'm not looking for anything else. He's comfortable there in the land of the Chaldeans. But all of a sudden, God comes calling. The text doesn't describe it, but we know he's a man. We know he had to wrestle with it. But and a lot of factors at play. How do I make this decision? I'm confident, though, that uh, he just made up his mind and he decided. Because a double mind does not work well with faith. I'm either going to trust God or I'm not. Faith requires commitment. I'm going to step into this guy's corner. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to follow him. The problem is we don't like to commit to much of anything today. I think that's a problem with a lot of things in our world, but Abram committed. I mean, just think, what if Abram and Sarah had not committed to follow God by faith? Where would we be? What would be happening in our world? I can't answer that question for you. But what, what about this church? What if previous generations had not given faithfully for the ministry of this church? What if they had not served faithfully? Some of you came to know Jesus because somebody taught you in Sunday school here at this church. Or somebody on staff talked with you about the gospel. What, where would we be if those who went before us were not faithful to serve? If we're not faithful to give? Faithful to witness? Faithful to walk by faith as God directed the congregation? Faith will bring us out. And Abram didn't let age, he didn't let possessions hold him back. He didn't reason it out with his mind, he just said, I'll follow. And verse 5 says, they set out for the land of Canaan. And there's a semicolon in my version, I don't know what yours looks like. But that semicolon is kind of a marker for about 400, 500 miles. (laughs) A long journey uh, from Haran down, across Syria, through Jordan, and then somewhere at some point crossing in and traveling down the whole length of the promised land. And he wasn't traveling by himself. Would have been easier that way. He had his family with him. He had his servants. He had a lot of animals, all of his possessions. Had to be a dangerous, arduous journey. But he went. And here he was traveling through the land that will be described as the land flowing with milk and honey. So God brings us out by faith. He will also bring us in by faith. Abram goes from Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran. And now he has traveled into the promised land that God is showing him. Verse 6 tells us the Canaanites were in the land. That means this was an occupied place. This is uh, the descendants of Noah who came through Ham. They were cursed by God. And these were the people that God was going to drive out so that his chosen people could reign and rule there in order to bring about the great rescue mission that he desires to complete for the world. So God's going to give this occupied land to Abram's descendants. Verse 7 says, to your descendants, I will give this land. And I want to point something out to you. At the very beginning, God says to him, I want you to go. But he doesn't give until all of a sudden Abram goes, right? He's got to go before he's given the land. And I think that somehow 
applies to our own lives. God will call you to do something, and you want him to do this before you do that. But it's not until you go that he'll give. So God says the land will be their inheritance. Of course, there's conflict in this land. So in our news today, as people are fighting over this land, this little piece of land that God selected and God chose a specific people to occupy. And after God promises an inheritance of this land for Abram's descendants, Abram responds. What does he do there? He builds an altar to the Lord. You know, when those explorers were traveling the world, they were sent out to explore land, they would land on a place and they would place a flag there in the land. And we knew what that meant, right? Claiming it for the kingdom from which they're coming. Abram's doing something similar here. He's building an altar and he's claiming the land for the kingdom of God. Something similar that we can see happening. John Calvin, in fact, he comments, he says, Abram endeavored as much as in him lay to dedicate to God every part of the land to which he had access and perfumed it with the odor of his faith. He made sacrifice there on the altar. The incense rose up day and night. And God smelled the incense. He smelled the sacrifice and he was pleased there in the land that God had promised What we find in Abram's commitment to follow God by faith is Abram reclaiming the land for the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think about the original listeners here. The original listeners of this, these were the Hebrew children. Moses had human person, he was the human author of this book. He wrote it down so that the people could be educated and they could be edified by it. And then there on the plain of Moab, just east of uh, Jordan River, uh, Moses goes up to die. And now Joshua's leading the people, and they're looking across the Jordan into this land occupied by giants, is what the spies had said. And God's calling them to go in. They can see probably the city of Jericho that they've got to go tackle first. And I imagine as they stood and reflect there, they could remember what happened with Abram. He went into the land. He built the altar. God gave them the land, and God has promised them this land. But the Lord's plan of redemption goes far beyond the land of Canaan. In fact, God promises to Abram, in you, all the nations, all of the earth, the families of the earth will be blessed. So Canaan's the first step, but it's not the final step. Because one far far greater than Abram will walk through this promised land. God calls him the seed of the woman in Genesis 3. Jesus, the son of God, will come to reclaim the whole world for the kingdom of God. The scriptures say, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. 1 John 2, 2 says Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And in Matthew 28, 19, after Jesus' resurrection, he commands his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations of the world. So Canaan land, first step. But the goal is the whole world. Jesus came to rescue you from sin. He came to rescue you as you, by faith, believe him, trust him for salvation, for the hope of eternal life. The way forward for you is by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, if you are the Lord's, God wants you to join him in his mission to reclaim the whole world. It's a grand, glorious mission. It's a difficult mission. Many start strong, but will they finish strong? You know, after John Stephen Aquari finished the 1968 Olympic marathon, reporters called up to him. They said, how'd you keep going? How'd you keep running? Why didn't you give up? I mean, you dislocated your knee, you had that scrape, your shoulders injured. Why didn't you give up? A quarry replied, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles 
to finish the race. Therefore, since we are surrounded, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Will you run the race? Will you follow Jesus by faith? Today's the day. He's calling you to live on mission with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise, the hope that we find in the story of the whole world. As you call Abram, as you make covenant, as you lead him out, lead him in, and then lead him on. Now, Father, I pray that we would follow as you lead us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps the Lord's speaking to your heart today. Perhaps you need to say yes to Jesus for salvation. Perhaps you need to take a next step, following believers' baptism, join the church. Maybe there's some other decision. You just need to call out to the Lord in prayer. Let's not just hear the story of Abram. Let's respond. Let's follow his example by saying yes to Jesus today. I want to invite you to stand as our choir sings. If you have a decision to make, I'll be down front. You can pray right where you are.